Let me ask you to turn to Ephesians 6 today as we conclude our series on spiritual warfare, uh, starting, first of all, at the beginning of uh, the year with our verse of the year. And so I will read that first, which is uh, verse 10, and then we will move down to uh, verse 17. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth, and how we need truth today. We need to hear from you, and so we ask that your precious spirit would speak to our hearts using your word, and then give us open hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, the American Bible Society, and you can imagine what they are concerned with, they periodically do surveys to see to what degree people are using uh, the Bible and so on. And in a survey, this is part of what they found, that 88% of respondents said they own a Bible, 80% think the Bible is sacred, 61% wish they read the Bible more, and the average household has 4.4 Bibles. I hope you're one of those that has 0.4 Bibles somewhere in your, uh, uh, but that's the average. And uh, that's rather encouraging, actually, those statistics. But then there's some more statistics from the same people And there is a disconnect here. If they do read the Bible, the majority, 57%, only read their Bibles four times a year or less. Only 26% of Americans said they read their Bible on a regular basis, which would be four or more times a week. A majority, again 57% of those ages 18 to 28, read their Bibles less than three times a year, if at all. Now I have to say, 
and I don't think I'm being naive in this, that if, our, if we did this same survey in our church, I think the positive percentages would be much, much higher than that. But I am also realistic in the sense that there may be some of you saying, yeah, if I was honest on a survey, that's what I'd have to say as well in terms of how I use my Bible. So what's the big deal? I mean, isn't, isn't the point the gospel and that we have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't that the whole point why we're here? Well, of course it is. And yet, the scripture is essential in that relationship and in the spiritual warfare that we have been talking about for the last three weeks. So let's take a look at how Paul addresses it and what he says first about the Word of God. And I think what we will see first is that the the Word of God is an offensive weapon for warfare. He talks about, uh, in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, back to uh, understanding that we are in spiritual warfare. We're not going to revisit that. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. I encourage you to go back and, and listen to the previous uh, messages that talk about the battle that is going on all of the time. And uh, last week, we talked about that the first couple of weeks. This, uh, the second week, we talked about who the enemy is, the evil one. Last week, we talked about uh, the armor and, uh, and, and specifically how to, how to suit up in the armor. But here's, here's the thing. If all you do is put on the armor and you're, you're well protected and then you walk out onto the battlefield, uh, you're not going to win that battle. In fact, you're not even really in the battle. And you will never defeat the enemy unless... You are protected, and then you have an offensive weapon. So, interestingly enough, Paul lists all the armor that we looked at last week, a number of pieces, but he only lists one offensive weapon. Why? Well, because... This is the nuclear bomb of weapons. You don't need other offensive weapons when you have the word of God. But if you don't have the word of God, you are weaponless. So let me explain why uh, this is uh, such a powerful and essential and key weapon. First of all, because it comes directly from the Holy Spirit, and this is one of those passages that, you know, the outline kind of falls off the page in terms of how you can understand this. Uh, it's directly from the Holy Spirit, uh, the sword of the Spirit, it's called. Uh, 
last Wednesday in our Theology 101, we were talking about the, this very thing in terms of the Word of God, and I told them they were all getting a preview. So uh, what we see in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, some of the older versions say inspired by God. That's a good translation. That's the term we use in theology, the inspiration of the Scripture. But uh, many of the more modern translations, and, and I affirm uh, these are good translations, say it is God-breathed, or in this case, breathed out by God. And, and that, I think, is actually the most accurate of the the translations. We don't want to think, when you think of inspiration, we don't want to think of there being something here and God uh, liked it, what he saw, and then he breathed blessing on it or something like that. What the scripture is saying is that he actually breathed it out. And that's what we have in the word of God. Over in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21 it, it expands on that idea of the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in uh, the Word of God. It says, for no prophecy, and by prophecy it's not just prophetic utterances, it's talking about the Word of God, some, the words that come from God. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's not, you know, the Bible is not just a bunch of great ideas that men wrote down according to this, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, that word carried along in the original language is also used over in Acts 27. In Acts 27, it's used in a, a very different way, but uh, Paul is on a ship on his way to Rome. It's a very bad storm comes along. And uh, he says, basically, we didn't fight the storm. We were carried along by it. In other words, uh, the, rather than fight it because the ship would break up, uh, we uh, let the storm carry us along wherever it wanted us to go. Well, that's the very same word. So what we're seeing here is that uh, God's Spirit used these men to uh, present his truth, but he took them where he wanted them to go. He carried them along. He didn't have to fight them. And they went, as it were, where he wanted them to go, and that's why we have the truth in the Word of God. It's from the Spirit. The second reason it's a key weapon is its power. Over in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's break that down. It says the word of God is living and active. The opposite would be it's dead and inactive. The point is that they're the words of a living God. They were given not just to the people in the first century, 
not just to the people in the Old Testament. They were given for them, but they were preserved for us as well, and they are still the words of a living God. They are for believers of all generations. And then it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The idea is the, of that sword is that uh, it, it, it's not just of a, a thrusting where you could poke something. Um, it has two sides, both razor sharp, could be used for carving and what gets carved up. Well, he says, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. So here's the idea. Uh, this is gross. This is, you know, battle. This is what he's uh, drawing a picture of, though, is that it, it's a, a sword and uh, it slices right through the parts of the body when you're in battle. That includes bone going right down to the very center, the marrow. And he says that's what the Word of God is like. It slices right into our very center. But the difference is, rather than destructive slicing or deadly slicing, that's healing slicing that the Word of God does. He talks about how, uh, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Discerning meaning judging. So here's the idea. If you're faithful in considering the Word of God, we'll talk about that in a minute, what that means, your heart can't hide from the truth. Now you can hide from the Word by ignoring it. You know, if you have a sword... You can leave it over in the corner, but if the battle's going on, it does you no good there. By the way, speaking of of, uh, leaving swords, some of your swords are in the lost and found here. (laughs) I'll just tell you that. And some of you wrote your name on your swords, and so we know whose swords are are here in the lost and found. So you may want to uh, go check those out. Now, you don't have to explain to us because we know that at home you have 3.4 more Bibles <laughs> and those are the ones you're using. But, but we would like you to uh, come and, and claim those. Uh, the point being that it's got to be used. We have got to use the Word. The third reason the Word is the key weapon is it's effective. Now, why is the Word of God uh, equated with an offensive weapon? The sword that Paul speaks of here in Ephesians is uh, uh, one of the the short ones that would be used in battle. Jesus used the Word of God in resisting Satan. He knew what his protection was. Over in Matthew 4, you can look at that later, We see Jesus in the wilderness, his temptation, his, as it were, spiritual warfare with Satan. And what Satan does is he twists the truth. 
He twists the scripture. Jesus didn't listen to a wrong use of the scripture. He knew the scripture. He knew when it was being wrongly used. Secondly, he rightly quoted scripture to Satan. And then Satan had no answer to that. And Jesus, in every case, was protected. And then the angels ministered to him. That's our protection. Now, if you're ever uh, in an airplane, uh, there's one thing you can see without being all that observant. Uh, If you look around uh, as uh, you're getting instructions, you can usually tell who is the person that's on their first flight ever or uh, pretty new at flying. Because here's what's going on. As soon as uh, the, the flight attendant comes by and says, please put your seat, uh, seat backs up, uh, you know, they immediately go that one inch, uh, which makes it so the plane can now fly or land. <laughs> and uh, they'll say, turn off the electronics, and they're turning them off and stowing them away. And then uh, they, they might be looking at the instructions and and when the flight attendant gives the, the speech uh, about safety things and how to do a seatbelt and so on, they're watching uh, how to do that and about the mask and the exits and, and, and all of that. Now, um, most of you have probably like me, you've flown quite a bit and I know it's rude, but I don't pay that much attention anymore to, uh, to those those things. Uh, what I would recommend is that you look for that person, though, because if the plane is going down, you can just follow them because everything will be fresh in their mind, okay? But here's, here's the thing about that is that um, if the plane were going down, we would be wanting those instructions, right? We would be listening at that point, because of seeing the need for it. I'm afraid that many believers, although they paid really close attention to the Word of God early on in their Christian walk, that they got used to it. And they maybe don't pay as much attention anymore. Don't wait for the crash to come before you decide I need to be in God's word. I need his protection at this point. So how how should we use it? Well, you know how to use it. It's reading and studying. Use our um, SAPC uh, reading program if you don't have another one. It's very easy. Uh, an Old Testament and New Testament chapter every day. It just keeps you going and gives you some accountability and, and you know when, when you've read the Word. And uh, I find it very helpful. And I also like the idea that I'm, I'm reading that which other people in our uh, fellowship here are reading the same day. Memorization. You say, well, I, don't, I can't memorize anything. Do you know your social security number? Do you know your phone number, your address? You memorize, you're saying no. <laughs> you, you, uh, well, <laughs> uh, 
we memorize the things that are important to us. The things that we think are essential, we will memorize. So do it with the Word of God and uh, also meditating on it, thinking about it. Those are things whereby the sword is the best used. Um, So the second part that Paul then immediately goes into as he's talking about spiritual warfare is he, he then talks about prayer. And I am convinced that that is because prayer is actually engaging in warfare. When you are praying, you are in the battle. And so how should we pray? He says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. So we are to pray at all times. Um, Our verse of the year last year, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Here it is again, pray at all times. And that sounds hard because it is hard. Because there's a lot of times, maybe most of the time, where you might not feel like praying. It's not what it says. Pray when you feel like it, when you're feeling spiritual. Pray at all times. Charles Spurgeon, the British Calvinist Baptist, said this, We should pray when we are in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we are not in a proper mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. Isn't that good? He's basically saying, pray when you feel like it, pray when you don't feel like it. It is essential at all times. We've said it's warfare and it's crucial in the battle. Soldiers don't fight only when they feel like it. We must also pray, secondly, in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. We pray the Father through Jesus Christ. The Father through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. Now, I I know we usually think of praying in Jesus' name, and that's proper. That's typically... And there's nothing magical about saying in Jesus' name. We always need to be doing it with that attitude, though. This is according to Jesus. But here it emphasizes uh, in the Spirit. Now, why? Well, Paul over in Romans tells us the beauty of praying in the Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, I find that so encouraging because so often, I mean, every week, there will be something where I will... I just don't know what to pray. 
but I need to pray anyway. And what this is saying is, go to the Father and know that the Holy Spirit that dwells in you is going to pray when you don't know what to say, you don't know how to pray, he's going to pray to the Father for you. That should be encouraging. And, and there it is. So that's when you don't feel like praying or you don't know what to say. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. Further, we must pray urgently. It says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Uh, over in Luke 18, we see Jesus giving a parable of perseverance, um, where this uh, widow was so persistent in asking for something, and this is Jesus' parable, and uh, they didn't want to give her that. Well, because of her persistence, she was granted what she asked for. Now, he uses that as a parable, and then what he says is, that's an illustration of faith. That's what our faith ought to be like. And so, it must be urgent and persistent. And then it talks about verse 18 again, praying at all times with all prayer. That would be all kinds of prayer. Uh, from praise and adoration, confession, thanksgiving, intercession, formal, informal, silent, vocal, secret, public, petitionary prayer. All kinds of prayer. But then he lists one kind of prayer, and that's supplication. And I, I used the term in the outline using specific supplication. A supplication is a, a plea or a request or a petition. It's asking God, what do we pray for? For all the saints, for our brothers and sisters? We should be asking on their behalf. We should be praying for the unsaved. We should be praying for our leaders, for our country, and on and on and on. How do we do that? Specifically. I think here in verse 19 we have a great example of that. And I don't want you to worry as much about all the content of this as notice how specific it is. He says this, in asking for prayer and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So he prays for words, for boldness, for clarity. Very specific. Those are things to ask for. He knows his need and asks for them to pray for him because he believed that that was the only thing that would sustain him. I won't have those things unless God gives them to me. So please join with me in praying for these things. Now, I quoted uh, Spurgeon earlier. There's an account of uh, uh, five young college students that went to uh, 
London for the weekend and they wanted to hear the great Charles Spurgeon preach. So they were uh, lined up at his church to get in and uh, a gentleman opened the door and uh, uh, said to them, would you like a tour of the, the church before uh, the service? And they said, well, well, sure. They thought that was kind of him to do. And uh, so he's walking them through the church. They went down some long steps and he said, would you like to see the power plant? Well, they weren't all that thrilled about that, but they wanted to be polite. And so they said, well, well, sure. And they got down the steps. He quietly opened the door and inside was a room with hundreds of people on their knees praying for the service that was about to begin. He closed the door quietly and said, that's our heating plant in there. It was Charles Spurgeon that took them on that tour. I've been talking today mostly about the need for prayer in our individual lives. But a soldier doesn't go to prayer alone. I mean, to war alone. He goes with other soldiers. Likewise, in terms of prayer, we have an opportunity. Tonight at 5 in the Great Hall, our heating plant is going to fire up as we're going to join together, led by our prayer team, for a prayer event. It's an opportunity. Now, we know that uh, any number of you or you watching online may not feel comfortable coming to an event. We, we get that. We don't want anyone to uh, take risk that they're not comfortable with. But if you are, come here. If not, we encourage you to do so wherever you are. I have a picture in my mind of, of people here praying and people all over the city praying and, and people that are watching us online and we know there are people in other states watching us, all of them praying this evening. We are going to battle for St. Andrews, for his kingdom, using his word, which is the sword. And we will go to battle together to the throne of grace using all prayer in the spirit. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for prayer. Where would we be without them? How hopeless it would seem without knowing that, that you have spoken to us and you want to hear us. Thank you that we can come to you. We cannot endure this battle in the strength of our own might. We need the strength of your might. Will you, Lord, arm us? We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.